So how was that? The movie? Yeah. Not Civilization Falling Apart Around Us. The, the, the movie. How was the movie? <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that's what I got right now. I'm still trying to figure out uh, how good it actually was. I'm just trying to figure out how the minds at Marvel were able to keep uh, Wanda being the villain, which we'd all speculated about being the case from the marketing materials. Um, easy. They showed us very, very little. So, uh, Miss Theron got a huge payday for Fast X and is now going to get that Marvel payday. Yep. Uh, it might be a while since Benedict says uh, he's taking a break, which, you know, good for him. Sanchez Day, the day on which we all celebrate Mark Sanchez and his greatness for all the wonderful things that he has done for the Latino community that the NFL will not recognize, but they continuously put the man down and brought shame upon his name by making him fake the butt fumble so that people would think that he was an incompetent moron. I ain't signed up for any of this. None of this. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts. Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and fellow member of the Church of Sanchez. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's Shad Metz, but I, I didn't sign. I'm not in the church. I don't go to the church. I'm not even outside the church. Uh, we meet every Wednesday. It's, it's, it's a good time. All don't, five of us. See, don't do that. People are going to believe that. Don't, don't be doing that. All right. So, we have just returned from our foray into the multiverse of madness. Chad, what were your thoughts about the Multiverse of Madness? Well, um, as we were just discussing, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm trying to determine how much I enjoyed it. Um, it's so it's very much a I don't, for all the things it's trying to do. This is very much I felt it was very much a uh, a real Doctor Strange and Wanda movie, which is kind of what they built to. So. Outside of like references coming into this movie, there's not a whole lot of outside stuff that forces itself on the movie. Uh, and also, there's the whole Sam Raiminess of it, which uh, your mileage may vary, but oh, it, it's I think most people will find it enjoyable. Uh, will they think it's like um, groundbreaking, like one of the Avengers films, or like? Um, as well thought of as like a No Way Home. I doubt that, but it's a good time. Well, here's the thing, okay? And we can get into the discussions about Scott Derrickson and whether or not Scott Derrickson left because of the cameos or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, whereas No Way Home is a nostalgia play, it's all the right notes to bring those original guys back and it does all the things, right? And Avengers, you have the Ten years ago, with this tonight, actually, you got the the 360 shot, which is one of the seminal shots in, in Marvel history. Like those are are very deep things that like register in a very personal way. Um, the Illuminati, composed of, of different characters from different universes, or from one universe that is completely different, um, in different variations. There's no 
how do I say this? Uh, there's no emotional attachment to those versions of those characters. So when Black Bolt goes and blows his own head up, no one's crying. Like, people were genuinely afraid in my screening that Toby was going to bite it uh, by the Goblin Blade, which, you know, was the thing that has happened in the comics. Um, and that didn't exist here. It kind of just seemed like cameos to create horror moments because she has a very because <laughs> she has a very distinct carry feel in that moment. Like in, in that's in that series of takedowns, she has a carry type feel to her. And all credit to Raimi for doing that and making it work. But I feel like the cameos are the least important part of this movie. And I feel like they aren't as impactful as what No Way Home's uh, cameos were and not as impactful as what, uh, oh, what uh, uh, as Avengers uh, establishing shot of the, the trio through the 360. Um, I think people would call these cameos fan service. And oh, they... the, the Straczynski one, for sure. Oh, uh, I mean... That's fan service in the way that everybody's been calling for him to be uh, Reed Richards. Oh, we haven't said spoilers. You should know this by now. Uh, we're spoiling the whole goddamn movie. But um, the Patrick Stewart one, the way they set that whole thing up, uh, like you hear his voice before you see him, you see the the arm and the chair, the yellowness, and then they give you what anytime people talk about X-Men joining the MCU, they're like, they better keep the animated theme song. And they put that sucker right in there when when you finally get like the whole reveal of him. That was the most fan servicey of fan service moments in anything. And I don't think I said it before, I don't think fan service is necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it was a bad thing here, but that like that whole Illuminati thing and Specifically, like Krasinski and and this uh, Professor X moment were like here. They, they might as well like uh, explode fireworks. It says for you fans appreciate because that's what it was. And, but and, you know, I'm I'm fine. I was fine with it. Uh, I'm sure you didn't expect them all to die. No, no. Um, I did. I have listened to a few, um, you know, preview shows that, of people that have seen it, but they weren't spoiling it. And the word murder, it kept coming up. So I figured some people would die. I didn't think she was going to kill all of them. Uh, she straight up murked all of them. With intent and purpose. In oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which um, we can get into Wanda later. But yeah, that was... I mean, it, for what the story was doing and, and those moments, it got you to the place you needed to be. You could throw in the fan service. It kind of makes sense. It doesn't take up too much of the movie. It's, it is still kind of progressing the plot, even though at that point it's pretty much a the monster's chasing us kind of plot. But, you know, for, for the horror vibes they were going for, which I think... I think they pulled off because I took my daughter to see this and I didn't tell her anything about 
everybody saying Marvel made a horror movie. I didn't tell her a word. And once the movie was out, she was like, I didn't expect to come see a horror movie. I'm like, well, I they did what they they did what they wanted to do. They did what they promised on the Comic Con stage in 2019. Yep. yep. They did what Scott Derrickson promised, and they did what Sam Raimi came in and finished up. Yep. That and so because I hired that guy to make a happy movie. Uh, I think of I think of Sam as the happy movie guy, but then again, I don't watch his horror movie, so it, it, I, I know I'm I don't get the full view of Sam, but uh, you can you can definitely tell his fingerprints on it, like, real early on. I was like, that's a Sam Raimi shot. I know that one. So let me ask you this. Travel back in time with me 15 years. Is this better or worse than than, uh, than Spider-Man 3? Oh, yeah, it's better than that. Uh, I don't... I think Spider-Man 3 is better than people give it credit for. I think there are some actually incredible moments in it. But for the most part, I think I personally am just I'm frustrated with all the Venom stuff enough and the, and I hate hate the end. I hate the the, the last Venom Sandman fight. I hate that. Uh, this, there's nothing in this movie that I hate. Uh, I, I think it's enjoyable. I will watch it again. I watch it several times. Uh, part of that has to do a lot of that actually has to do with your two leads. Benedict as Doctor Strange. I don't know. I don't even like Doctor Strange, but I want to see Benedict as Doctor Strange all the time. And Elizabeth Olsen has, over her last couple of projects, really blossomed into Wanda Scarlet Witch. So you got those two leads. I'll pretty much accept everything else. Indeed. So let's go through our good or bad and our not so good, Chad. What was your good for this film? Well, I just touched on it. It's, uh, and I do it a lot with these movies, and I realize why. It's the cast. And a big, like, going through these movies, going through comics itself, I, I realize that a big part of why they succeed and why people keep coming back is not the story. Good stories are good, but people want to spend time with these characters. And so you have to have good characters. You have to have good people portraying the characters. And this entire cast does a great job, but really, uh, Cumberbatch and Olsen are really standing out. Elizabeth Olsen, she really, a lot of it, I mean, Benedict can be there as Strange and just kind of have this Doctor Strange charisma going on, and that kinda, that's kind of all he has to do. A lot of this movie hinges on uh, Elizabeth Olsen's performance and I think she does a really good job here because you see different sides of her different because she's playing different versions of herself uh, and different I guess you could say uh, frames of mind and you gotta believe all of them and she does a good job with that so I'm gonna go with it my best thing is the cast and my best thing is uh, the performance of Rachel McAdams who is one of our great leading actresses and is const- has a great and amazing range. And she actually gets stuff to do as Christine Plummer this time. And, and that really makes me happy because she's underutilized. She's underutilized in the Derrickson film in 2016 to bring her back, to give her a better role and to give her a different perspective. 
you know, to bring her in as a multiverse version of the character who has a different life experience, but the out same outcome. Um, there were two lines that kept recurring through the screenplay that I thought would pay off. One was, uh, are you happy? And the other, and the other was, you always had to hold the scalpel. And I was hoping that they would do something with that line in regards to the two of them. And they do a little bit with the watch, but it's still, it's not her who puts the watch in there and opens the door. It's Stephen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, she's fantastic at this and her performance is subtle and it's nuanced and she pulls off all the smart dialogue perfectly and she shows compassion and interacts wonderfully with with the uh, young lady playing America Chavez. Um, she plays the horror elements too really well when old boy uh, lands on the stakes. Um, she plays the horror elements of it really well. I mean, she's all around awesome and great. And I'm glad that they brought her back, not just to be in a wedding scene at the beginning, but to actually give her something to do. So that would definitely be my good. My second good uh, would be the score in the music. As you alluded to, a good cameo needs to be a meat needle drop. And uh, I did definitely distinctly notice the 97 animated theme when they did show us Perfector X. I also noticed the uh, the, the uh, in, in humans theme when uh, Black Bolt showed up. And of course... The biggest, the biggest one of all was the Captain Marvel, uh, Captain uh, Carter theme from What If that played when she when she landed. Um, that was honestly the biggest pop. It wasn't Straczynski. It was Captain Carter and Haley Atwell that uh, that got the biggest pop in my screening. So that was also also a good. I, actually, I want to go back to Rachel McAdams because I'm glad you mentioned it because that was my exact thought. I, uh, I'm glad they gave her something to do. Because when the movie started, I'm like, okay, so she's getting married, and then we're gonna get rid of her, we're gonna do all the stuff. Yeah, she got a paycheck. Yeah, I was like, that. I mean, that's fine. You're going in a different direction. That's fine. But no, no, she's there. She plays the integral part, uh, and I, I think it did answer some of the criticisms about her from the first one that you know she was she didn't have a lot to do. Uh, it's funny you bring up the music, but we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. I mean, I. Did you think that Chino that uh, they used Chino's score properly? I mean, Elfman is the main composer on this, but they used the Chino score from 2016. Um, the parts of it that I remember, yes, I was afraid. I'm always afraid when they change composers, particularly with Marvel, that they'll get rid of themes that they've established. Yeah, it's it was a problem early on that. There was not a theme, like, you know, you think of Superman, you think of his theme. You think of Batman's theme from 89, you know it. Marvel didn't have themes for a long time. And a lot of that had to do with not having consistent composers. Or even if they switched composers, the composers would come up with a, a new theme. And I like Doctor Strange's theme from the first one. So I'm glad that he kept it a little bit. Uh, I honestly don't remember how much of it it got got used throughout the movie. I do remember at the very beginning, they kick up with it, so I was like, that's good to hear. Um, the, the rest of the score, uh, honestly, I don't... I mean, I guess it's because of, of Justice League. Every Now, when I hear Danny Elfman, I'm like, kind of grown, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen. 
And really, I actually I walked in the movie thought I was going to hate this score. And as I think about it, I really don't because I really don't remember a whole bunch of it. Um, except for uh, the, the actual music battle that they have at the end, which was, it's weird, but the band geek in me is like, okay, this is cool. I can kind of get down with this. It's really weird that they're using actual music in the fight, and the the score is keeping up with that. I, I thought that was really interesting. So I can't dump on the score as much as I want to, but... Once I have more viewings and I actually listen in on different parts, I, that might change. But all in all, I guess I can't complain about Danny so far. I really liked uh, the use of the varying themes. I like the uh, introduction of America Chavez and her theme. But um, most importantly, music-wise, I just thought it was a really well-done composition that helped the, the, the theme. Like, for example, when you hear the WandaVision theme, when he says, I, I know which, I know somebody. Like, those little music cues like that help, uh, story-wise. And so they're important, and I, I'm glad that they, they did those. So I, I was really impressed with that, the music cues, and, and just the overall score, because I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, I can, uh, I can dig it. I forgot about the WandaVision theme uh, that did show up. That did make me smile a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, the music... When he interstitched those little music cues, that that was actually good. All right, so Chad, what is your not so good? <sighs> okay, so my not so good. I guess it. Any other time would probably be my bad, but we're gonna have my bad written down. So we're gonna go with. I I understand what they were going for, and I can accept what they were going for with with Wanda and her heel turn, I don't think it was executed the best. Because, granted, I know they want you to watch the shows. And, but even if you watch WandaVision, when, when, when you leave WandaVision, you leave thinking, you know, she's, that while she did what she did with Westview, because most people had a problem with her doing what she did and then just leaving. But it seemed like, you know... The residents of the town definitely did. Yeah. But the whole thing is, and uh, Monica Rambo, like, even I, like, like, outwardly says it, that she, yeah, she did it. It was wrong. It was a mistake. But she's not a bad person. In this movie, well, I, I don't think she... I can't say I don't think she's bad. Because she clearly and knowingly murders a lot of people. A lot of people, and I get where I mean, resurrect some of their corpse. <laughs> she does some messed up stuff, like really, really messed up stuff, and I get why she's doing it. I just don't think they did enough to justify where she starts this movie off because it's not like she like starts the movie one place and then ends up going there, and then the rest of the movie she's big bad scary Wanda. No, from the minute you see her, she's lying to Strange's face because she's already done the turn. And they and they try to justify it by saying, you know, it's the dark hole that has made that's like driven her all the time she spent with it. It's driven her driven her to this. I wish you would have gotten like it didn't even have to be in this movie. I know a lot of people will complain 
that it would be in this movie, but if there was more about the Darkhold, WandaVision specifically towards the end, where when this one starts, it's like, okay, I understand why. So that that bothered me through the whole movie. It's like, I get why she's here. I don't think y'all did enough to get us here. And then on that token, it's the it's the fact that so I know people don't think about this, but Wanda is the second female Avenger. It's Black Widow and her. Black Widow's pushing up daisies. Wanda has turned to the dark side. If you if people want to start, you know, checking out uh, Marvel and how they've treated their their women Avengers, it's not looking too good for like the first few. I don't. That's that's not something that. I care too much about because you know you do what serves the story, but it's going to be a valid criticism. Yeah, I mean, like that was kind of my not so good too, was because like Taker doesn't just go from being ministry Taker to being corporate Taker. Like you, you know that that you see that transition over the course of weeks in that story of where he he you know, does the greater power storyline and, and ties up with Vince and corporate ministry and all that. Like, you see that that growth. Um, the last time we saw Wanda, she was self-isolating and metaphysically projecting herself reading the dark hole and hearing her kids' her kids' voices. And the, the inference that they want you to make is that hearing her children's voices and knowing that they were out a version of them was out there somewhere in the uh, in the multiverse, pushed her over the edge, and that combined with the dark hold pushed her to a, pl- a far darker place than anybody knew. But she literally goes from zero to two hundred in the first scene of the movie, and that's problematic for me considering she was teary eyed and apologizing to the people of Westview, and then taking off and voluntarily leaving them to go uh, to go isolate somewhere. So, like, it's it's clear that she understood that what she did was wrong and that she had hurt those people, you know? So, I, I don't know, man. It's just, like, what like what are we, like, how can you go from being, like, from being isolated and, like, wanting to shield yourself away from the world to the situation we're in now where it's like, oh, well, you know, I hate the world. If I can't have what I want, then screw it. But, okay, so my, my question is, so Wanda, as we see her in this movie, does she let Westview go? No, because she tries to hold on to that created reality because that's all she cares about is being with the kids. She doesn't even care about Vision because she understands Vision's gone. And her anger, part of her anger towards Strange is that Strange gave up the Time Stone, which allowed Thanos to turn time back, which allowed Thanos to pluck the stone out of Vision's head because she successfully did what she was supposed to do, and that was undone because of something Strange did. And so she had to watch her the love of her life die twice. And understandably, that presents some hostility and anger toward Strange, which could have been played out if Strange had showed up to New Jersey. So I, I agree with that. Uh, I just... So since we both agree that this Wanda wouldn't lo- let Westview go, I just needed more to explain how we go from the Wanda that left Westview to this one. The Darkhold is a good 
I mean, it's a good excuse, but like you, you gotta, you gotta like show more. Cause yeah, like like she, she mentions vision. She has a a legit gripe about the time, so I didn't even think of it that way. Um, but it it it's just like zero to hundred. There, there's like yeah, it, in between. It's you go from you go from corporate you go from a ministry taker to corporate taker within like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. With no real explanation for how he got there or made the changes. Yeah, we're and we're we're supposed to be good with it. And in and a it, way, yeah, plot moves in a way that you kind of just accepted is that this is that she has a grievance and so she's the villain. And I love it for the film because Raimi uses her as I said. Basically, as a carry type figure that is chasing them down, it's it's nice to have a instead of there being a final female, having there be a female chasing a, a female as the horror protagonist or uh, the the perpetuator of the motion <laughs> of the action. That's a really great thing. And uh, the underground stuff in the tunnel uh, that I loved all that stuff because it was just this unrelenting force. It's like. It's like Vader in the hallway in Rogue One, right? <laughs> like, nothing these these rebel troops can do is going to stop it. He's going to murder however many of them he has to in order to get chased down what he wants, which are the plans. And then he's really pissed off at the beginning of A New Hope because he failed. So, I mean, like, she is pursuing them doggedly because they have something that she wants. And I like that I like that angle of a horror, that that horror-like angle to the approach. Yeah, they they did a good job on that. Uh, all of the horror elements and did they do a good job with all the horror elements? Because I could have done without some of the gory deaths. These are some of the goriest <laughs> deaths in the history of the MCU, sir. The, this is true. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> my, my... Why did Wall not call the abomination? He's fighting giant monsters. Why does he call his homeboy up? Because uh, that's more money, and I think Abomination loses that, loses that fight anyway, so he's a he's a wrecking ball, and he's going to send him up there, and between those four things and Wanda, he's losing that fight quickly. So, And he's got a show to show up in this summer. We can't just kill him off real quick. I mean, the Sorcerer Supreme was running an underground fight club, you know, scamming people, so... <laughs> the, the fact that he is actually the Sorcerer Supreme while he was doing that uh, they can't gloss over that I need more details it, w- it was fine it was fine when we didn't know that he was the Sorcerer Supreme but now that we know and now that he's having people bow to him I, <laughs> I was amused by all of that and even though he's the Sorcerer Supreme it's like when things go down, nobody's coming to him. They are looking at strange. Indeed. So, um, so yeah, like the, the zero to a hundred thing is what kind of weirded me out with Wanda because it's not the same person that was in the cabin in the woods, um, you know, scanning through the dark hole. And I guess the implication, the inference you're trying, they're supposed to have you make is that when she heard her her children's voice for the first time in the multiverse through the dark hole she she snapped I just it just does not feel it, it just felt not quite there 
I get it, but... Yeah, so the question I have, Chad, is we assume Elizabeth Olsen's done because of the way the movie ends and her collapsing the Darkhold Temple upon herself and all the things, right? But Agatha's going to get her own television series. So are we going to bring her back? Or are you making the Agatha series about Salem? Like, what you doing there? Because, like, it would seem that you could also use Agatha as a tool for pushing her further toward the dark side. So, Agatha's an interesting one because I don't, I don't think uh, when we see her again, I don't think we're going to get like full dark side Agatha. I think they're going to kind of push her back to like the comics friendly version of Agatha where she was more of a friend than foe. My big thing with how this alternative Wanda is what's going to happen when Vision shows back up? Because Vision's going to, we know we're going to get White Vision again at some point. Uh, And he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to have the same relationship with Wanda. And I don't expect him to. However, the way WandaVision ends, especially with Vision's whole speech at the end, is like, you know, we say goodbye two times. It stands to reason we'll say hello again. And I I think the way WandaVision ends and him having that speech, it was built towards at some point, even when we get White Vision back, he's not gonna be the same. At some point he's going to revert back to like original vision, like probably when they retire him. And him and Wanda can go off and live happily ever after. But now, Wanda's like scary witch lady. So she's how, twelve feet under. And I doubt she's dead because when uh when the the citadel is falling, there's that that red flash in in the middle. I think you know some people could signify that as like that's her death. I think it signifies that she went somewhere else, but. I would imagine, like, just thinking it out loud, if you're going to bring Vision back and eventually bring him back to where we originally knew him, and probably towards the end of Paul Bettany's time dealing with Marvel, it stands to reason that it will be close to Olsen's time leaving Marvel, and it's like her redemption arc. But at this point, it's she's got the Kylo Ren thing going for. Like, they redeemed Kylo Ren in Rise of Skywalker. I didn't agree. They they, they, they climbs out of a pit, kisses a girl, and then dies. But that's after he like turned on them and helped her get to Palpatine to kill him. And she, he he turned. Whether you bought the turn or not, I mean he. But he did turn. And Austin turned heel in, in in April of nineteen ninety. Uh, in April of two thousand and one, I didn't buy it. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. And that it's the same thing with this. They're gonna if if that's where this end goal is, if Vision coming back and turning to his original form and then Wanda come them coming together and accepting each other and having their happy ending, that requires a, a face turn. But at this point, she's murdered so many people. And while we didn't have, yeah, and while we didn't have connections to everybody in the Illuminati, they are all characters that we have seen and or know, and most of them have some affection towards in different incarnations. And she just murdered them effortlessly in like two minutes. Some people will be able to get over it. I don't think most people will. 
That doesn't even count the Sorcerer Supreme. The uh, that doesn't even count the members of the Magic Squad there that she killed. Yeah, they're like red shirts. Nobody cares about them. But they they know nobody cares about them individually, but collectively, yes, they are a death toll. So if if that's what they want, if they can successfully give Wanda her happy ending and turn her end in and send her off into the sunset. I will be very impressed because everything she's done tells me that she should not be that. Nobody should feel that way about her. I would tend to agree, sir. I would tend to agree. So um, let's talk about our bad because uh, certainly there has to be something uh, negative. I mean, we can't all be uh, sunshine pumpers on the MCU. Uh, yes. Uh, so my bad. Let me pull it up. Uh, all right. I just want to make sure I had it in front of me. So, I really, really, really dislike the end of this, the way this movie ends proper, paired with the end credit scene. Because they basically do the same thing. Like, for Strange, they do the same thing. But one is in the, the, the actual proper one ends with like, a feeling of doom and dread because he gets the third eye and we saw what happened to the other strange with the third eye. And then you get the end credit scene where he just casually opens the third eye and he's going off to be a superhero and stuff. And it's all like happy and light. It's like, you can't do that with this thing. Like it should have been one or the other. You either end with the despair of him having the third eye because I mean, he breaks down in the middle of the street. The third eye opens, and you're and you're left feeling, "Oh man, is, did he like damn himself? Is he got if is he about to go through some things because he dealt with the dark hole?" And the end credit scene is like, "Well, no, he seems to have probably gained some actual fun power that he can use to be a superhero and go off on this other cosmic adventure." You can't do both with the same the same thing, either. He gets the third eye, and we get the impending doom kind of ending. Or he gets the third eye, and we like, well, we can be like, he's already mastered it. Yeah. Well, not even that he's mastered. It's like, well, that can cause some problems, but apparently he's got it under control to go do this other stuff. You can't do both. It 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 just completely undercut what I felt at the very end of the movie. I also liked that scene because. uh... You use the rocket, the hard rock, deep metal uh, anthem that you've used for Third Eye Strange. It comes back again when he's pounding in his head, and and he the Third Eye emerges. And I like that callback. That was that was really a good nice score work there. Uh, but you're right. It goes from is this is going to be a problem? The dark hold takes a toll, which is repeated multiple times in the movie. Uh, and then it's not. It's just like, oh, okay, cool. You want to go fix the the uh, collision? Let's go fix the collision. Yeah, that's it. Like it really, 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 really bothered me. But uh, yeah, and I, I get, I get it. You want, you want your big reveal of Charlie Theron. I get it, and I also get that. Um, that a lot of people don't know most of the things that happen in credit scenes. They have to look them up. 
and I can I even accept that that's going to happen with me because I am not a Doctor Strange fan, so I had no idea who she was. And looking her up is not a problem, but it it didn't like it didn't generate any excitement in my screening. I think a lot of people didn't even realize it was Charlie Theron. Like when she showed up, I'm like, is that her? Very tight close up. But I had to keep looking at her just to make sure. I was like, I am pretty sure that's her, but I I just need to double check. And I don't I didn't get that from anybody else. Indeed. I mean, it wasn't evident in my screening either. There wasn't a huge reaction. I mean, but now that I know who she is, it's it would be interesting to see where they go. And it Doctor Strange will return. Yep. And it guarantees that there will be uh yeah, that there will be another sequel. And as much as it seems like we're going to do more multiverse things, I really hope uh, that that it comes back down to a smaller thing where we get to see <laughs> we haven't even talked about him yet. We get to see the bare mortal of this world and what he's going to do with Strange. Because uh, while we got a bare mortal, it was not the one we were used to. And as you say, he's he's got he's got a grievance and. Something always happens. Well, he he said uh, he said at the end his last the last line for that particular uh, that particular Mordo is you know I can see why the other guy doesn't like you very much <laughs> as he leaves him in the trench. But um, yeah, I mean for me it was more of like okay this is where we're going we're gonna they made it very clear that there are issues with colliding uh, realities and the interesting thing for me was like. In the marketing materials, they made it seem like Strange was going to pay a price for what he did at No Way Home, and he never really did. It was just America uh, Chavez just showing up randomly that causes all the multiverse chaos. There's nothing about him opening the gateway and things pouring in, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, that's that's on that's where they go from here is interesting because when he pops up again is interesting. And what movie he pops up in is interesting because we're slowly but surely putting the midnight was it midnight suns together. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I don't. I guess they can do that with with Strange. I mean, right now he's the biggest name of the Midnight Suns. So, I think you got to build the other ones up before you really want to do that. Yeah, uh, and we've got some building to do because who does what version of Ghost Rider they would use. Yeah, this they well I mean everything is fair game. We we got to see uh what's his name is Black Bolt, so who knows? Well I mean Nick Cage is Nick Cage after all at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I think they're gonna skew a little bit younger no matter what. Uh well I mean what was the uh what was the guy who was uh who played him on uh, Agents Shield, uh, Gabriel Luna. You know that guy could also come back. Yeah, that guy could also come back if if they wanted him to. So all kinds of possibilities and doorways. So Chad, uh, my bad has to do with some of those doorways. It has to do with those doorways because whenever they would go through any one of the uh, multiverses, no one ever said the words. The bill always comes to, and for a brief moment. I was very excited when Mordo pulled out his sword 
and aimed it at Strange because I was really hoping this would be the moment where he would say, and now the bill comes due. And unfortunately, the man never said, the bill comes due. So I'm frustrated, I'm aggravated that I've been waiting for six years, I've been taking tequila shots every time I rewatch the movie, every time he says the bill comes due, and yet here we are six years later, and this, the bill is still like filed with a collection agency at this point. <laughs> yeah, I once we got to once we realized I realized that Mordo was from a different reality. I'm like, how can it? Like, is it the common grievance of all Mordos that um, Bill must come due? And they really didn't do anything with it, which one I'm kind of glad about because it is not our bare mortal. But I really, you know, maybe it's partially because you've hammered it in my head so much the Bill comes due. But I do want to see... Um, well, his whole thing... His whole thing is you can't mess with all this shit and, and nothing happened to you. Like, you can't do things like what you did in uh, with Jabarbu. You can't do things like you did in No Way Home. You certainly can't give up the Time Stone and do all that you did with Thanos without repercussions and major repercussions. And uh, that's his whole deal. And, and to not pay that off especially when the entire marketing campaign seemed to suggest that this was strange paying for the sins of the multiverse that he opened up and ripped open in No Way Home for Peter Parker's sake. Um, I just thought that that was kind of a missed opportunity. I won't say it's a missed opportunity if they if it's part of the next story. I, I think the next story, no matter how much multiversal stuff is in it, I really hope it comes down to exactly what you said about Mortal, how he feels about everything, seeing Strange constantly overstep, and it's time for him to do something about it. And Well, going back in there and fixing it is just saying, I screwed up. Like, it, it, her, her whole line is, you know, you've ripped open the multiverse, now you have to come with me to fix it, basically. And it's like, just going back in there and fixing it shows that, yeah, I kind of screwed up there a little bit. And Mordo's whole thing, and matter of fact, the Illuminati's whole thing, when they have Strange eviscerated by Black Bolt, is that, you know, there are consequences for your actions. You went to the dark hold, you did this horrible thing, you have to pay a price for it, because we're more concerned with you than we are the Scarlet Witch or anybody else. Because if you screw up, Really bad things can happen. And they typically do with them. So, I get it. I think that's, I mean, that thread has has been there from the beginning. It's always gone through there. I think they have to, uh, if they're going to, whenever you get to the third one, I think it needs to finally address that, no matter what else they want to do. So let's address that. Uh, The in-conclusion scene that we've been talking about shows uh, Charlize Theron playing a woman who is a female character in the Doctor Strange universe, who very close is very close, and at one point in time is the wife of Doctor Strange, saying, "Let's go fix this thing together." And then we got Bruce Campbell at the end, basically telling everybody it's over uh, after they say Doctor Strange will return. 
So your thoughts on that end credit scene that we talked a little bit about it and where you think we see Doctor Strange next. So first, uh, about the Bruce Campbell scene, uh, kudos to Bruce and Sam. Apparently they've trolled us because uh, I just read the other day Bruce was upset that he was feigning being upset because he wasn't in Doctor Strange and Knowing that when I saw the movie, as soon as he showed up, I'm like, oh, you little tricky bastards. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, on the actual mid credit scene itself, uh, it's seen, there's a bunch of ways they can go, particularly because of her relationship to Doctor Strange in the comics. I mean, they've built up this whole thing with him and Christine, but... It but, she says, but she says in the movie, like... Go take your chance. Yeah. Let somebody care for you. Yeah, so I think I think she's done. I think Christine is done. So then it opens up the room for for Clea. And this is somebody that even more than Christine will be on on Strange's level when it comes to you know, Christine was on his level as a doctor. He respected her in that facet. Uh Clea's gonna be on his level when it comes to his magic stuff. And he'll probably go to respect her in that level. Uh, hopefully, they fix because by the by the nature of this end scene, they fix whatever brings them together first, and then the next time we see them together, they can be working on whatever it is that mortals got going. Uh, as far as when do we see Doctor Strange again? If I'm going under the assumption that. We won't see a Doctor Strange three for three years. I do think we'll see him in a in a uh, in credit scene like thing. So it'll probably be for something that has some sort of magic connections. Um, maybe what well, are our multiversal connections? So maybe like um, your second season of Loki uh, or. Uh, I just kind of lost it. Uh, I don't know. The Eternal sequel? Oh, I, uh, I think we get Doctor Strange sequel before we get Eternal sequel. So, or maybe if it wait three years from now, it was 2025. Fantastic Four, I'm assuming, comes out in 2024. So maybe he has an appearance there. But I think it's, I think we only get him in like one end credit scene between now and the next movie, and then um, then he'll be in Doctor Strange 3. It'll be interesting, because they, they definitely set it up, and uh, they set it up well for Doctor Strange 3. And, whereas, and you would hope that you would also see some more American Chavez as we go along as well. Yeah. I, yeah between I, her and Captain Marvel, I think you, you need, need those youngsters running around. Yeah, I think it's We've now introduced young people in almost all of the projects since um, Endgame. Eventually, they got to start meeting. So I think we'll see her before we see him. I would hope so. I mean, uh, to me, Captain Marvel is a good good place to do it, is it? Uh, Because we also know we're getting Ironheart in Welcome to Wakanda. So. Mm -hmm. So that'll about do it for this week's episode. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us. On Twitter, I am uh, not Mark Sanchez. I am Brian Wood. I'm at BCW Tiger Pit. And I am at the Mysterious. confused for Mark Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, because you do that so much. 
And what is your Twitter handle, Chad? At the Mets Theory. All right. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening. All hail, Mark Sanchez.